Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, a third down that we didn't convert, but, uh, you know, then he completed his next 11 passes in the game. And, you know, his efficiency, you know, not only uh, in our intermediate passing game, but also, you know, being, a push, being able to push the ball down the field, I mean, that's big for us. And you, you see him, you know, his confidence is, is ever growing uh, with each week and each opportunity that he gets. Uh, you know, I thought he came out of the game as good as, you know, at, at any that he's played, uh, you know, throughout uh, you know, his time here at Florida State. And, uh, you know, just really excited to, to see him continue to grow. And, uh, you you know, I, he's definitely a spark plug for our offense. You know, you know, you know, he did a, you know, had a great uh, uh, touchdown run. I think it was over, like, over 50 yards, and uh, you know, his, that explosiveness is going to show up. But you know, just continuing to become more consistent in, in all aspects of what he's doing, and uh, you know, excited about how he's playing. Coach, something you kind of mentioned uh, there as well, the development of your, your program earlier, finally getting out uh, and able to go uh, do some recruiting. Where do you feel you're at kind of in the development of your program there at Florida State? As you said, COVID year, some people kind of look at that as maybe a lost year just because of some of the things you weren't able to do uh, and just the way the, the season kind of came together. Uh, where do you feel you're at in, in the development of this program and, and going where you want to go? Well, you know, it's it, you know, COVID definitely presented some challenges just with the with the opportunities to get out and see guys in person. Um, you know, we've it, it we we adapted and adjusted the best way possible that we could. But uh, you know, really excited about the direction of the, where we're headed. Um, you know, the the guys that we've been able to bring in have, have been able to uh, to come in and help. I mean, there's been you know. There's, there's been some transitions that have that have happened here at Florida State over the last few years, and um, you know we're making the most of it. We're continuing to build, uh, you know, from the foundation of, of you know hard work, relationships, uh, you know, and fundamental football, and those things that we're trying to strive to. Uh, to show up and, and be able to achieve each and every day. So, I mean, our, our guys, uh, it, it, you know, for us, it's all about finding the right fit, right fit for Florida State, not only uh, who these guys are on the field, but who they are off the field and just their, their determination to help get our program back to where it deserves to be. And, uh, you know, we've got a great group, um, you know, here, uh, uh, you know, on campus, and we're excited about the guys that we're going to be bringing in during these future classes. You mentioned uh, bringing in some guys to make an instant impact uh, on the program. Talk about Jermaine Johnson, coach, the Georgia transfer, who is one of the national leaders in sacks. Yeah, Jermaine's done a great job for us. And, you know, just the, the way that he's worked day in and day out, um, you know, you you saw in, during his time at Georgia, you know, the, 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 the pass rusher that he could be and the impact that he could make. Uh, the thing I've been really pleased with is just, you know, the way the work that he's done in the run game, uh, being able to, to make an impact, you know, whether it's you're creating TFLs, um, you know, the, the, uh, the effort of, of how he goes to work every day in practice and, uh, you know, the leadership that he's shown, uh, it's, it's carrying over to the game field. And so uh, you're definitely excited for him and, and the, uh, the progress that, that, he's, that he's made, but also the, the leader that he's been for those guys up front. And coach, uh, but obviously that, that young defense is making a lot of strides. None bigger than the guy from our neck of the woods, Kalen Deloach. Talk about his play as of late. Yeah, Galen is is you know one of the guys that has really been a, a, an up and comer for us, and really a bright spot in in uh, everything that we're doing defensively. Uh, you know, had a great off season. Um, you know, his mindset. You know, the maturity of of, of his uh, of what he's been able to do and his growth, not only physically uh, but also mentally, and understanding the, the the defense, understanding where he's supposed to be, but also the guys that are around him. And you know, he gets to play with a lot of confidence. He's got great speed. Uh, he's been a been a tremendous player for us, and you know, his best days are ahead. And you know, I'm I'm excited about. Uh, you know, where he's where he's trending and uh, you know just continuing to, to go out there and make plays 
Mike Norvell joining us here on uh, Three and Out, Florida State uh, football head coach there. And, uh, Coach, you look at the league uh, right now, the ACC. I know Clemson uh, stumbling a little bit. Wake Forest has had a, a good uh, good season to this point. Where do you see the ACC and its development uh, here 2021 as a, as a football league with a lot of turnover uh, all over the league? Yeah, you know it's a, it's a challenge week in and week out. You know everybody's uh, everybody's pushing to to do the same thing. You know there's a lot of talented players, talented coaches uh, within the league, and you know there's been a lot of different dynamics. When you look at the, some of the, the the teams that have you know a, a big number of super seniors that are coming back with that experience and and uh, you know the ability uh, to that that uh, you know that that brings to a roster, um, you know it's it's definitely a unique year. And uh, you know each week you got to come and play your best game, and that's something that we've continued to. Change challenge our guys with you know we've we've got a, a handful of examples of ACC games of where we come up uh, you know come up victorious and played really well and times that we come up short and you know you know being able to learn from the mistakes that we that we've made and the experiences that we've had that's what's critical for us as we move forward so uh, you know it's it's a great league a competitive league and we're we're excited to, uh, about the opportunity to continue to grow in it. And you guys have some spotlight games, more spotlight games coming up uh, in the ACC. Two wins in a row now, Coach. Do you feel like there's some uh, positive momentum and uh, energy around the program as you guys get ready for that second half? Yeah, I mean, I, I think our, there's a lot, great deal of energy and excitement about uh, you know the, the, what's ahead. And, and for us, we focus on on each day, and that's where um, – you know those early those early experiences that we had were you know it was it was tough and we had a disappointing start to the season you know we started off we were 0-4 um, you know not many people were uh, were were given us much of a chance but our, our kids just continued to work they continued to believe uh, they they were they focused on just the the incremental uh, improvements in all in all areas that uh, that we that we've been challenging you know the, them and our staff to to get better at and and it's starting to show up. And, you know, sometimes you just have to have to go through it to prove that you can get through it. And, uh, you know, we, we did that with a, with a close win against Syracuse on the last play. Um, you know, been in, been in a couple of those early in the season that didn't go our way. And, and uh, you know, for our, to see that confidence and then to be able to go on the road, uh, you know, something that had been challenging for our program over the last few years and uh, to play the way that we did, you know, it's just we want to continue to build upon that, uh, you know, here in the second half of the season. And, Coach, I mean, I'm always interested. I mean, a brand as big as Florida State, you being the head coach, you talk about being able to go out there and recruit a little bit. I mean, I understand the X and O's, but how do you navigate it all? Because you got to deal with the alumni. you got to deal with the boosters. got to deal with the former players. got to deal with the expectations. How does, how does Coach Norvell just navigate it just on a, a, a day-by-day basis dealing with all the, you know, the expectations, both, uh, you know, good and bad? Yeah, I mean, I love it. That's one of the great. That's one of the great things about Florida State, and the reason why I came here is because of the the impact that you get to make. And it's not only uh, with your current team, but with the fan base. You know, this. You know, our program and the rich tradition and and the expectations that we have. Um, you know, and to be able to represent that is special. And you know, for me, uh, you know, I try to be genuinely who I am. I try to, to to do everything that I can to be an example for our players of of you know how how we should work and and uh, the standard of, of how we want to operate. And you know, there's there, there, if a mistake's made, you know, you know what are you going to show in, about your identity with your response? And so those are things that uh, that I, I try to, to to live out each and every day. And I'm just honored to be able to represent this program and all those that have come before us and, and the guys that we have currently on this roster. Mike Norvell, Florida State head football coach, our guest here on Three and Out. Coach, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on and go Knowles. Appreciate it. Mike Norvell joining us here on 3 and Out. BJ and Ben as they're back at it after a bye week. Uh, tried to find their way there in the ACC Atlantic Division.
Yeah, and you're talking about a team that got a close, hard-fought win over Syracuse, then played really well at North Carolina, Ben, and momentum uh, can be sometimes hard to shape during a season, but I think Florida State definitely has some, and you feel like you have a game where you're going to be the Cleavered on Saturday against UMass, and then you have Clemson, then you have NC State. So Florida State's got some momentum, and I think uh, people should be paying attention to the Knowles in the ACC. I give I give the Knowles a lot of credit. I mean, obviously, when you lose to a team like Jacksonville State, a lot of teams would have just like you know just just say, look, man, this this not going to be the season we wanted to have. But Coach Norvell, I mean, they obviously you know buying what he's selling right now. You talk about a young defense, you know, Caden uh, Loach and those guys are kind of going out there playing good, good football. BJ, uh, you know, the law offices of Sean, you know, of the of the Sean brothers right there, you know, uh, you know, running the football. But Jordan Travis, the way he's been able to add the passing game to what he does and. I think that sometimes, you know, you got to go through some rough times to kind of get, you know, uh, uh, to, to the other side of these things. But, yeah, give Florida State a lot of credit. And like you said, Kevin, the ACC, it ain't what it used to be. Somebody said, with Clemson not playing well, it's anybody. It's up for the, it's up for the taking for anybody. Florida State got a chance to make it, you know, a really, really good season with some big-time games coming up. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin. For the starting lineup here for game number four for the Braves, going to be Waskari Noah going tonight. Uh, in the start, a lot of talk about a bullpen game. BJ and Ben uh, for the Braves here. I know the Dodgers planning on bullpenning a game tomorrow. Why it's very important, I think, for the Braves to get after Julio Urias and make the Dodgers use as many pitchers as possible. Use nine last night if you could use eight or nine again and uh, set them up going into a bullpen game uh, where they're going to have to use a lot of guys again. I think that would be uh, be nice. But Waskari Noah tonight probably looking at two, three innings out of Waskari Noah and then moving on to someone else. Well, I was going to ask you that, that Kevin, because sometimes we hear bullpen game and it can sort of imply different things uh, as to what the expectations are. If you're Brian Snicker, what would be sort of realistic best-case scenario tonight? Is it is it Enoa gives you three full and then maybe you go to mentor and kind of go in reverse? I mean, is that is is that the idea? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised they didn't start with mentor. And, and that- Bravos, man. Let's, let's get one. And we've got more. When we come back, we will hear from... Doc Herbert, Platinum Sombrero Podcast. We'll talk about last night how this Braves team is going to manage it moving forward. He'll join us next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin. He gave some uh, some momentum there to a Dodgers team that, that looked pretty flat up until that moment. You know, it's it's tough because you could make the case that we should actually be down 2-1 to one by having lost the two games we won and having won the game that we lost. So um, the tricky part is, you know, last year when this happened, Braves went up two to nothing and they, they lost game three that was a neutral site the problem became that you did it in front of fifty-one thousand people at dodger stadium so that's a, a very intimidating environment so being down to one isn't isn't the same um at dodger stadium as it is somewhere else because they're they're kind of like um they're like the 10th man of, of the team as it were so from the perspective of somebody like Luke Jackson, it's really process over results. He had a wonderful season, frustrating at times, but all things considered, his ERA was under two. And he even said in the postgame interview, he said, I would have done the exact same thing. And when you look at that pitch that he threw to Bellinger, that's not that Luke did anything wrong. It's more so props to Cody Bellinger, the former MVP, for hitting a ball that was basically at his eyes out of the, out of the park, you know? So from the perspective of Luke, don't take the thing, keep doing what you're doing, you know, process over results. For the team, most of these guys were here last year. They saw what happened when they were up 2-0 and they were up 3-1 and they weren't able to get it across the finish line. You tend to remember your embarrassments a lot more than you remember your successes. 
So I think that actually, I don't want to say that yesterday was a good thing, but it was just a really stark reminder. Like, look, we can't get cocky. You know, we, we know we're good, but we can't think that we can coast. So just be buckled down, say it's still 2-1. We still almost won that game. We still could be up 3 to nothing. We're good enough to be up 3 to nothing on a team that won 106 in the regular season. And just relax. It'll be real easy to get bunched up. They need to do something today to go out there and stay relaxed, stay calm. I'll just say, Doc, and, and again, I, th- I think a lot of people take the macro view like you do in, in baseball and say, hey, just win series, two out of three. And a lot of people said, hey, you're up two two games to none. Go to L.A. You really just want to win one game. Uh, win one game, and that means it comes back to Atlanta, and you will have uh, the series lead needing to win one game at home. But this is the playoffs. It's easy to kind of take that view if you're Brian Snicker going to clubhouse and go, guys, we just need one of the next two, and we're going to go home with a chance to win this thing. It's hard. It's a, it's a hard sell, you know, because you, you want to march into L.A. Like, look, everybody, the fans, the players, everybody tasted a sweep yesterday up until, up until the eighth inning because the Dodgers, truthfully, had played themselves out of a lot of things. The Taylor base running mistake in game one, the Seager botch on the, uh, on the Rosario liner to end the game, the drop ball by Lux yesterday. You know, they were making mistakes that good teams just do not make. So, what you, if you're snit, you just have to instill, like, look, same, same thing I was saying before. It's process over results. The way the changes that this team underwent after the trade deadline, that is a team that, is, that was good enough to go 15 games over 500 from August 5th till the end of the, end of the season. This is still a really good team. You don't want to just try and sell it as all we have to do is win one because that means you didn't win two. You didn't get the job done. But I think also our guys want to win it at home. It would be great to win it in L.A., but I think everybody wants to have, have our 10th man on our side as well. So – if there's a way to go out and get this one today, the, the key today is getting to Julio Urias to get into the bullpen. And that's not even about today. We could lose today. And if we are able to put a dagger in their bullpen, because they have to do a bullpen game tomorrow, and they're already gassed. They, Dave Roberts has been leaning on his bullpen a lot. So today, it's not, it's not truthfully about the result. You'd love to go up 3-1, but more than anything, you got to mess with their bullpen. Big time. And that, that's the biggest thing right there. If you can get into their heads in game four, it will do you a big favor for game five. And whether we win game four or game five, probably coming back to Atlanta anyway, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And again, the Braves going with a uh, bullpen game today. Don't know how Brian Snicker is going to play this uh, as of yet, Doc. Haven't seen the uh, the lineup put out there, but some thoughts of maybe opening with A.J. Minter, Waskari Noah on the backside, Drew Smiley. How do you approach a bullpen game if you are the Braves? I, and I guess that seems to be the kind of uh, way baseball is going, where you get down to this point and teams like, well, we have two or three guys maybe that we trust, and then we're just going to leave it up to everybody else to figure it out in one game. And we've seen it in the Astros Red Sox. I mean, you got two, three good starters, and then you just kind of figure it out from there. How do you feel about the Braves and their ability to try to piecemeal this thing together today here in Game Four? If I hadn't seen Waskar and Noah in that Milwaukee series, I would feel a lot better. Now, it's also easy to forget that last year in Game Three, when the Braves were getting just trucked by the Dodgers after that 11-run first inning, and Noah came in and shut them down. You know, he came in, he, he set a, a career high in pitches uh, in, at that point anyway. Uh, 
in, in the four innings that he covered, he threw like 95 pitches. He was really only stretched out to do like 55 or 60 at the time. So he kind of threw himself in front of the train and kept that series alive for us. Uh, but then in that, you know, he broke his hand, and then we came back. He just hasn't seemed right. So I would say I would start with Anoa, expect him to give you two, and then just kind of maybe you could get some length out of Smiley too. But, God, the Dodgers just beat his brains in a couple <laughs> couple weeks ago. So um, I, I don't feel bad about it. I just I think that the capacity for things to go wrong, it's, it's, like the, it's like you hear all the time. Anytime that the bullpen door swings open, it's just another opportunity for somebody to not have their best stuff. But you can't really concern yourself with, with one individual guy and, and the what-ifs of it all. The good news is the bullpen for the past couple weeks of the season was actually really good. Um, not perfect, and they haven't been just completely brutalized in the series the way that the Dodgers bullpen has. And so you still got some guys that can give you some length. And even if we have Max Fried starting tomorrow, we will. He's not going to go a full nine probably. So we still need to leave somebody in the tank. It's going to be a really interestingly managed game from both sides. I was going to say, and again, I guess if you're if you're Brian Snicker, it sounds weird, but how hard do you go after it uh, here if you are uh, the Braves tonight? If it's if it's a one run ball game, you're behind later. You're putting out guys to to push them forward. It's kind of an interesting discussion. But looking at this Braves lineup offensively, as you said, it seems like they have been able to get to Dodgers pitching. Kenley Jansen was nasty in the ninth, but they've had their way with with Dodgers pitching throughout this series. How good do you feel about uh, this lineup? And what, if anything, do you expect the Braves will hear on Jorge Soler? Is it a world? series or, or nothing at this point yeah i guess they kind of keep teasing us with the well he's in the protocols and he could possibly maybe come back uh for the the league championship series what do we know there and how much of a difference would that make having him back in the lineup i think it would be huge partially because of his plate discipline because you you saw him in the, the first at bat of the nlds against corbin burns the whole thing was look this guy's probably going to win cy young or finish in top three we don't have to score off of him we just need to get him out of the game so Solaire let off and drew an eight-pitch walk. And Eddie Rosario, who was, who was taking his place, has, uh, is just hitting out of his mind. The thing about Rosario is he's very swing-happy. So he, instead of having a, an eight-pitch walk versus a two-pitch, hopefully, single or something, as opposed to or, or maybe even getting it out, he's, you know, he's got his finger on the trigger. So that's one thing that you do kind of lose with Soler being out. I haven't heard anything about him necessarily being ready uh, by the end of this series. Maybe for Game Six, because you would have that would be today, tomorrow, an off day, um, and I think that gets him right around in the ten day range. But that's also he hasn't seen live pitching. Certainly not. He would see from Bueller or Scherzer or who or, or Darius or whoever's going to come out and do Game Seven. So uh, hopefully we'll get him back. And you know. As it pertains to something you were asking before about Snit and how much he's going to go for it, you can see him kind of play in chess yesterday when uh, I think it was the fourth inning when uh, when the Braves scored the four runs and had Adrianza out on deck and then pulled Charlie back in, and he was trying to do the math and say, okay, we know we're doing a bullpen game tomorrow. We know we can't burn everybody for game five when we get there, but we also look like we're going to have to cover six innings here. And he got, truthfully, he got lucky. Ryan Snicker and Charlie Morton both got incredibly lucky yesterday by the fact that Charlie turned it around. Because I don't know about you, I did not see him going five. Yeah. <laughs> For a couple of pitches, I did not see that happening. Yeah, going to be interesting to see how they do it tonight. Bullpen game for the Braves in game four, trying to win one to go up three games to one. Doc Herbert, Platinum Sombrero Podcast, our guest here on 3 Out Doc. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much.
Yes, sir. Let's uh, let's do this again when we make it to the World Series. How about that? Hey, absolutely. Doc Herbert, our guest here on uh, 3 and Out. We're coming right back. More to come as we count you down towards some uh, Major League Baseball here this afternoon. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here. College football tonight as well. Good matchup for you. App State hosting number 14, Coastal Carolina, 6-0 on ESPN2. The voice of Appalachian State, Adam Witten, joins us here on 3 and Out. Adam, welcome. How are you? Do we have Adam? Welcome to Three and Out. How are you? Hey guys, how you doing? Hey, we're doing fantastic. Uh, talk about this game tonight. Obviously, Coastal Carolina, one of the new or the newest member of the uh, the Sun Belt, and has made quite the name for themselves. And uh, obviously, there's a big showdown tonight against Coastal Carolina here. Yeah, it's a huge game, guys. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Appreciate you guys putting the spotlight on this game tonight. Um, you know, it's. It's one of the bigger home games that App State has had in the regular season in, in recent memory. You've got an undefeated team, 14th-ranked team in the country coming in, and you know that's enough to get people excited. But this game has a ton of stakes attached to it. The reality is App State had won four straight Sunbelt Conference championships up until last season, and it was really coastal that kind of took that and, and halted that streak by beating the Mountaineers in Conway a year ago. Coastal ended up winning the East Division. The Sunbelt Championship game got canceled, but they really were the ones that put an end to the Mountaineers' run of four straight Sunbelt titles. So here's App State's opportunity to, you know, do something and try to figure a way to, to claim what they feel is rightfully theirs. App State, one of the you know most consistent programs in college football, and this year a lot of people will think about that close game with Miami. Not a great performance at Louisiana. How do you evaluate Appalachian State in terms of where they are this season or, or entering tonight's game? Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the loss at Miami still stings because they, they felt like they beat themselves. The, the one at Louisiana is, is still kind of baffling, quite honestly. I mean, App's not used to getting beat like that, especially against a, a conference opponent. And, you know, Louisiana just flat-out beat them in that game and, and, and won that one going away. But, you know, I, I, I still feel comfort, confident in App's abilities and what they're capable of doing. This is still a really good football team with a ton of talent. Really, the key, guys, is that they just haven't been able to play a lot of clean games. They've, they've beaten themselves many times, and I'm not saying it was all their fault against Louisiana, but but what happened was they were minus three in turnover margin. They turned it over four times. They were 0 for 11 on third down, and, and they had some inopportune pre-snap penalties to short-circuit drive. So I think if App is just able to play a clean game, limit the turnovers or eliminate the turnovers and not have some of those pre-snap penalties that put them off schedule, then they've still got all the talent in the world to beat anybody in this conference and, and should beat anybody in this conference if they play their A game. But that, that's really going to be what it comes down to, I think, is to beat a great team like Coastal has become over the last year and a half. The Mountaineers are going to have to make sure that Coastal is the team that's going to try to beat them and not the Mountaineers beating themselves. Chase Bryce, two interceptions, uh, you know, uh, you know, last time, I mean, uh, you know, a week ago. But how, how well does he have to play a night, as you mentioned, a, a Coastal Carolina defense that's very, very opportunistic if you throw the ball to him. But how well is Chase going to have to play tonight to try to get a big dub? He's going to have to play well. I don't think he has to do it all himself, and, and that's not what they ever want their quarterback to do in Appalachian. But, you know, like I just said, Chase is going to just have to make sure he doesn't turn the ball over first and foremost. Um, but he's going to have to make some plays. App's offense is only successful if it can loosen up a defense that, that tries to key in on his running game. And to do that, you've got to be able to hit your deep shots. Chase, I think one of his greatest assets is how well he throws the deep ball. And so App's going to have their opportunities tonight. They've got to connect on them. And, and a lot of that falls on Chase to make the good throws. So 
uh, you know, first and foremost, like the football, make sure that you're not giving it away. And then secondly, you've got to be able to make some plays with your arm, but they're not going to have to. I wouldn't hope that they would have to have them go out there and throw the ball 40 times in order to win the game. Adam Witten joining us here on 3 and Out. And you look at this uh, conference and getting the marquee matchups uh, like that, and you speak to the growth of the conference. How big is this national spotlight game uh, for a uh, top 15 Coastal Carolina team against, as you said, a uh, four-time winner of the uh, the Sunbelt Conference? And uh, as you know, one of the most picturesque settings for a, uh, for a college football game, especially this time of year. Yeah, well, guys, I mean, it, it's true, especially this time of year because not only do you have the great setting of Kid Brewer Stadium, but you've got all the, all the leaves in bloom and all the great colors. And so the, the photos, the, the scenes from tonight's game, as people see it on ESPN2, are, are going to be spectacular. And, and, you know, I think what really sums it up well in terms of just how much this game means and the significance to, to this fan base is the fact that they just announced you know, a few minutes before I came on with you guys that it was sold out. So you have a Wednesday night game. And, look, we've seen the crowds at the stadium and t- on TV on these Tuesday, Wednesday, and even Thursday night games. They're not great. But App just announced a sellout for a Wednesday night game. So I think that right there just tells you what, what the significance of this is and how much this fan base is looking forward to this one tonight. And Coastal Carolina hasn't lost a, a conference game since 2019. What's it going to take for the Mountaineers to win this game tonight and beat a team that's putting up Big-time numbers with Grayson McCall and Isaiah Likely and others every time they take the field. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of go back to playing a clean game. That, that's the first thing. You know, regardless of the opponent, App's biggest priority is making sure that it takes care of itself uh, because they feel like if they play to their potential and they execute and they don't turn the ball over, that they're going to have a chance to, to win any game. And So that, that's the first thing. But in terms of how to get still maybe off its mark a little bit, I mean, you've got to find a way to get some pressure on, on Grayson McCall. He, he is he's completing almost 80% of his passes. He's only thrown, I believe, four interceptions in his entire career over a year and a half. This team just doesn't turn the ball over, and Grayson McCall makes good decisions with the football. You've got to find a way to make it difficult for him, and, and I think the, the, really the only way to do that is to get some pressure on him. The only game this year where a team has been able to pressure Grayson and it held him to numbers – you know, maybe below what he's accustomed to over his first year and a half is the Buffalo game earlier in the year. And, and Buffalo lost that game by one possession. They had a chance to win it, but they sacked McCall three times in that game. They forced him into his only interception of the season, and they were, they were getting hits on him throughout the game. That's what the Mountaineers are going to have to do tonight in, in order to, you know, avoid Coastal putting up the kind of numbers that they have been offensively, and they're the number one scoring offense in the country. And Adam, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested to get your opinion on the fact that you talk about an App State team who obviously has a very, very storied tradition. You look at uh, the recent emergence of, you know, uh, a Coastal Carolina team. You've got Louisiana. How is it knowing that no matter what, when it comes to the Sun Belt, I still think App State is the creme de la creme because they're, they're who everybody's chasing? Well, you know, the, the difference is, and, and first of all, I, I, think it's, I think it's good overall for the conference that Coastal's doing well and Louisiana's doing well and and, you know, you've got some teams that are on the rise as well. South Alabama is doing well under a first-year head coach this season. So the fact that more teams are, are moving up and, and winning games and getting ranked and beating quality teams, that only helps the league. It's the rising tides lifts all boats theory. And so, you know, that, that is what leads people to point to the Sun Belt as one of these conferences that is continuing to rise, is, is on the move. It's very much a, a stock-up type of league. 
So, but for the Mountaineers, the thing that they've been able to do is they've been able to establish consistency. You know, they won four consecutive Sunbelt Conference titles. Coastal Carolina had an amazing season last year, and they're, they're off to a great start this year at 6-0. and the, the difference, though, in what some of these programs have done lately and what the Mountaineers have always exhibited is that consistency. That's the toughest thing to do in college football. I think with the right combination of, of all the right pieces at certain positions, staying healthy throughout the year, getting the right mix, you can have a great year. The question is, can you do it consistently? Can you play at that level year over year? Because App is at the point now of the program where last year they won nine games, and that's a disappointing year. There's a lot of programs in college football that would kill for a nine-win season. And so that really, I think, is what lends to the point that you're talking about there in terms of people still looking at App as, as maybe the class of this conference. So credit to Louisiana and Coastal, what they've done over the last year and a half. The question's going to be, can they keep it going over several seasons? And, and that's what App has been able to do over the years. Adam Witten, voice of the Appalachian State Mountaineers. They've got number 14, Coastal Carolina, tonight 6-0 and uh, on ESPN2. And, uh, Adam, uh, you mentioned the uh, the conference there. I wanted to see if you had any thoughts. What's kind of the talking points around Boone of the the, the discussion, social media, the last couple of days that the Sun Belt might be on the, uh, the brink of adding a couple more teams, uh, the, the speculation, Southern Miss and Marshall. Yeah, guys, I mean, the, the reports are flying all over the place, and certainly those reports are out there. Um, you know, I haven't been able to, to confirm anything because uh, you're not going to really get anything out of the Sun Belt at this point officially because the first thing that has to happen is anybody that wants to join the Sun Belt has to submit an application, and that's the first step. And, and that has not happened. So the Sun Belt is, is not really doing anything, and they're staying quiet because they have to wait for schools to to submit applications. Now, we, we all can read between the lines and know that when schools submit those applications, they know what the results of those are going to be, but we haven't reached that step yet. Um, I, I think what's interesting is that, you know, with the, the news yesterday about the six new schools applying to join the American, the Sun Belt's in a great position. As I mentioned, they are a conference that is on the rise. They're playing better football. They, they're, they have a much higher profile now than they did, you know, even a few years ago. And I think that they don't, they're, band, they're bound together with all their members. You know, nobody's going rogue and looking to join other conferences. They all believe in the strength of this league, and they're not necessarily looking to jump ship. They're looking for opportunities to make the league better. If it is Marshall, if it is Southern Miss, both of those do fit in, in various ways. Um, but I think it really just speaks to the fact that the Sun Belt is, has gone about this the, the right way in terms of, you know, their patience and, and waiting to see where the right opportunities to expand might be. Do you think that from afar, when you look at the future of the Sun Belt, there's a number of teams that's kind of the model, whether it's 12 or, or 14, or do you think it's all kind of too fluid right now uh, to speculate like that? Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's too fluid at this point. Um, you know, I, I think certainly 12 makes sense, but I think at the end of the day, you know, what makes sense first and foremost is having enough members to play in a conference championship game. And right now that number is at 10. And so, you know, they're, they're at that number now, and they can have this conference championship game. Because the thing that you, you trade off is, yes, when you add members, you bring in more regional opportunities, you bring in better matchups, you know, you could play more teams on, on, on a, a you know, similar uh, geographic footprint. But whatever media rights or whatever shared revenue that there is, 
for for the league gets split up amongst more people. And so that's that's a little bit of a balancing act in terms of whether you go to 12 or 14, but you know, don't don't look at just football in this whole thing. I mean, I think the leagues become more attractive if they become better in all sports. Men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, softball, um, and so there are things that, that will help boost the league's overall profile um, by not just trying to grow from a football perspective, um, but looking across all the various sports and seasons that come with it. Adam Witten, the voice of Appalachian State and Appalachian State and Coastal Carolina tonight, uh, a little bit later, undefeated Coastal Carolina uh, ESPN. To Adam, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys, anytime. Appreciate it. Adam Witten joining us here talking some App State football and, of course, those, uh, I guess I, we can still call them rumors of conference expansion. At least two schools, uh, Southern Miss and Marshall, reported out there, potentially others uh, out there to, to go, I guess, 14 might be the end game there. Well, and I think the Sun Belt is in a really good position, and it's a testament to Carl Benson, Keith Gill, the leadership, the job they've done. And this league is – like Adam said, reading between the lines on the verge of, of growth in various ways, and it's definitely exciting to think about. And the end of the day, Kevin, I mean, it's that ripple effect. The SEC does things. Now you see it's a ripple effect all throughout college football. But, yes, I mean, you get to add potentially – and I keep on using potential. It hasn't – the ink hasn't dried yet. Southern Miss and Marshall, that's what they're potentially saying. But I think those would be two uh, huge programs, you know, from a, from a traditional standpoint and a location standpoint to add to already big-time conference. It expands the footprint, gives you a team in Mississippi where you don't presently have one, and uh, up in West Virginia there with Marshall. We've got more to come here. Three and out on the Southern Pack here. Three and out. We like to consider ourselves men of many talents, uh, BJ, but I don't know if we are as talented as uh, Jaguars defensive end Dwayne Smoot, who apparently delivered a baby in the living room of his house. Got on the phone. It was 4 a.m. They were leaving to go to the hospital when his wife fell. Apparently he caught her, but the baby was like, I'm, I'm coming right now. And so he got on the phone with 911, and they talked him through. And again, I know what I would do in this situation. He said they talked him through tying the umbilical cord over the phone. Ah, uh, no. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to keep it together long enough to cut the cord, tie it off, and do all that kind of stuff. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Shout out to mom and dad. Uh, that's, that is a remarkable story. Like you said, all that happening, you're right there, you're on the phone, you're making it happen. I mean, th- that's incredible. That's all I know to say, Ben. That's absolutely amazing. No, Dwayne Smoot, <laughs> we finally get to say this, Kevin. Dwayne Smoot, sir, you are a beast for what you did. <laughs> and at the end of the day, BJ, what are you going to do? Like, it's not like you can go anywhere. Hey, listen, listen, y'all got to come help. No, man, you got to deliver this baby. What? <laughs> Mr. Smooth, man, shout out to you, man. Great I mean, job. Listen, shout out to you. At the end of the day, there are fathers, and then there's Dwayne Smooth. Yeah, I was Shout out say, to that man. I d- delivering babies? <laughs> no. I'm not, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to. And wherever they're living, they're going to have to keep that house forever yeah, what, because of the sentimental Yeah, what was, what was that conversation? Sir, you're just going to have to do this. We'll walk you through it. Excuse me? Walk me through it. Not this guy. But, yeah, uh, big ups there uh, to Dwayne Smoot. We'll come back, take three around the corner. Mike Norvell next hour as well here on 3 and Out. Good to have you along here, 3 and Out. Hour number two as we count you down towards some bonus baseball coverage here this afternoon as we'll give you bonus coverage of Red Sox-Astros 
and then we'll give you full coverage of Braves Dodgers starting at 6.50. So get you just a little bit of extra bonus baseball this afternoon of that series uh, between the Astros and the Dodgers going to game five, or Astros and the Red Sox going to game five. Uh, today uh, as well. So a lot to get to uh, coming up. We'll look at the Braves who have named a starter for tonight. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Mike Norvell will join us. We'll hear from him coming up in just a little bit. Florida State head football coach. But first, let's take three here on three and out. All right, fellas, take one. Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield out with injury this week, so they go with Case Keenum to get the start. Who is the best backup in the National Football League? I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think, has to be in the conversation. You think about Fitzmagic. You think about doing it for – he's played for every team in the NFL and every coach in the NFL. (laughs) So wherever he goes, he's going to have familiarity. He's going to know the scheme. He's going to know the franchise. Uh, And I know he's been, you know, a starter and then a backup and then a starter again, then a backup again. So maybe he's kind of a half backup. But but I think I think I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is up there, veteran, played in the league for 20 years. But I'm also going to give a shout out to Gardner Minshew. He still look. He has done a good job, all things considered, when he's been given the opportunity. I wouldn't be stunned if we see him start some games again. And I mean, I mean, there are a number of good guys. Jacoby Brissett's done a really nice job. And if I have to pick one, if I have to pick one, I will go with Fitzmagic. This is about resurgence, BJ. This is about a blast from the past. So I'm going to go with Gino. Whoa. Gino Smith out there with them Seattle Seahawks out there trying to find a way to get it done. But, BJ, if you're going to give two, I mean, the best backup got to be Josh Rosen because he's not going to play. You want your starter to be in there every single game, Josh Rosen. You talk about, I mean, I know Ryan Fitzpatrick going to play for 20 teams. Josh Rosen will play for 10, and he's only been in the league for five years. So give me Josh Rosen as my 1B, but give me Geno Smith blast from the past out there trying to keep them Seattle Seahawks afloat right now. Yeah, best job in the NFL, Matt Ryan's backup. <laughs> you get paid, and you don't have to do oh, Tom any- Brady. Oh, t- Tom Brady. Oh, that's true. BJ, that would be like your ideal situation. Matt Ryan's back up. Tom Brady's back. Hey, I get ass, I get paid I and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> Just cash the checks and watch. That's awesome. Kyle Trash, one year in the league, already got a Super Bowl, and he's and he don't have to play again because Tom Brady said, "quote I can play until I'm 50 if I want to," and he's probably going to do it. Yeah, best best uh, best game. What about years. what about Taysom Hill? Is he, the, is he the backup quarterback, or is he just a guy that comes yeah, he's in and changes? Yeah, he's a Swiss Army knife and only throw touchdown passes against Atlanta Falcons <laughs> defense. Yeah, he's the best if the Falcons are on the other side, that's for sure. Got to throw in touchdown passes like he's a real quarterback in contract extension. <laughs> we are moving along. Take two, the Lakers. It's all over. We lost to the Warriors in uh, the first game of the NBA season last night. Will it be a disappointment? I can't believe we're even asking this one game of the season. If a team with LeBron, AD, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo don't win a championship. Yes. And look, glad to have the uh, NBA back. Some big games tonight. But I think when you assemble talent like that, right? And, and LeBron is still the GOAT. LeBron is still as good as it gets. When you have LeBron James and then you're talking about Anthony Davis in his prime, Russell Westbrook, the, you know, the the bench is incredible. I mean, Melo will will obviously come in and give you buckets. You're talking about Rondo. Uh, I think Kent Bazemore is on that team. Uh, DeAndre Jordan's on that team. This is a stacked roster. You have, e- you know, easily three or four Hall of Famers on 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 this roster. So if you don't win a championship, I think it's a disappointment. I think that's why all of those guys went to L.A. to play for the Lakers. And and I know you have other good teams. The Bucks looked good last night. The Nets have a lot of talent, but I, I, I still think with that talent on that team 
for that franchise, I think the expectation is you got to win a championship. Yes, it's going to be a huge disappointment. I understand that Russell Westbrook is still <clears throat> jacking up jumpers when he can't shoot. Carmelo Anthony, I think, is 10th all-time already in scoring. Uh, if he doesn't score another point in NBA history, Dwight Howard, I mean, he's dying his hair. He's playing with the Lakers right now. DeAndre Jordan, he's out there. You talking about Baysmore, BJ. You talk about just the cast of characters. Oh, and you got AD in his prime. Yes, it will be a disappointment because LeBron James only assemble winners. LeBron James won everywhere he's been. LeBron James says, listen, man, I'm the, I'm the point guard. You got to let me run this team. Let me run this offense. But, yes, if he can get these guys to start gelling, because I do think that the Lakers are going to definitely be the team to beat. Now, I know those boys from Milwaukee. And if you seen Giannis last night, that boy is coming. And I'm sorry. <clears throat> if Kyrie's not with Brooklyn, well, <laughs> they, ain't, they ain't going, you know, where Brooklyn at? <laughs> Nowhere. Not right now. So, for me, yes, BJ and Kevin, it will be a huge disappointment. Because when we saw this, I, I know that. I know that. Now, I know the back of that plane is lit up with Ben Gay. Because it's going to be lit up in the back. <laughs> got to get them joints right. I get that part. But outside of that, yes, it will be a huge disappointment because LeBron at this point, BJ, is chasing legacy, and he's trying to get that coveted fifth championship with them, with you know, with the Lake Show. Yeah, that's a great. I mean, I, again, I think after one game, maybe a little bit early to be asking that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when you try to assemble teams like that, just like the Nets uh, last year who are, you know, virtual all-star teams, yeah, it's disappointing when you don't win because that's why you go out and spend all that money and bring those rosters together. That's why you put the collection of talent together is to win that championship, so it would be a disappointment. Moving along, take three. Dan Mullen has not named a starting quarterback for the Georgia game yet. Should Florida go with Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson for the cocktail party? Ben, I'll be interested to get your thoughts. Matter of fact, Ben, Ben, you go first on this one, man, because I know Gator Nation wants to know what you think. All right, Mama. And I'm talking about my mother. This, this is her question. I'm going to agree with my mother here, who has been saying this since week one. It is time for AR-15, Mr. Anthony Richardson, to be the starter for two reasons. One, you don't, he, he makes the offense better when he is out there. And two, he has earned this opportunity. He is the reason why against them LSU, go Tigers, that y'all came back into the game, man. Emory just hasn't, he just has to turn the corner. I understand that Emory is a good quarterback, not great quarterback. BJ, I kind of know which way you're going to go with this when you talk about who, high, who has a higher ceiling. Who gives you the best opportunity to win? Not, who, not who's been there the longest, not who knows the offense the longest. No. Who gives you the best opportunity to win? That's Anthony Richardson. Does that mean he's prone to make more mistakes? Yes, but because that also means he takes more chances. But one guy utilizes his arm and his leg, and he gives the team more confidence for me. Give me the young guy. If it's close, you go with the young guy, so I'm going to go with the young guy from Gainesville, Mr. AR-15, Anthony Richardson. I think it's Richardson as well for you know for the reasons you discussed. Look, Emory's done a good job for the most part and have a lot of respect for what he's done throughout his career, but I think you've reached a point where Richardson is a different type playmaker and brings that, that, that big play ability, that home run ability to the field, both as a passer and a runner. And we've seen that on a number of highlights already. And when you think about getting ready for Georgia specifically, if you're going to score on Georgia, I mean, beating Georgia, but if you're even going to score on Georgia, you're going to have to have big play after big play, a couple of home runs at least. And while Emory Jones is certainly capable of that, I think Anthony Richardson is more likely to give you that 50-yard run, that that 70-yard that pass downfield. And I think there are there are elements of Richardson's game that are that are a little more unpredictable. You know, he's had a couple of turnovers, but he's also had some of the most dynamic and impressive plays 
we've seen in college football this year. Has a great touch on his downfield passes. And just because you go to Anthony Richardson doesn't mean Emory Jones never plays again. But I think Richardson has earned the right to get in there, to step onto the big stage, to be the starter. And I think he brings a little something different that Georgia would have to account for in that game next Saturday. I mean, that's a, it's, a, it's a very simple question. Who gives you the best chance to beat one of the best teams in the country, right? I mean, that's that to me is it. Do you believe Emory Jones can beat Georgia? Do you believe Anthony Richardson can beat Georgia? Again, a tall task either way, right? I mean, that's, that, that, I, I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, it's just a, we go with this guy, we're going to win. Mm-hmm. But as a coach, you can't say, well, who's going to le- allow us to lose by less? No, you don't go into a game like that. You go, who gives us the best chance to go out and win the football game? And I think that's the question Dan Mullen's uh, asking himself. And, uh, again, I think you go with the inexperienced, maybe higher ceiling guy. And Anthony Richardson. If, if Emory Jones is going to be the starter, Dan Butler would have made the decision. Just like out there, just like out there in Oklahoma, if uh, if uh, Spencer Riley was going to be the starter, you know, uh, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley would have made the decision. Whenever you got a starter and the head coach start, mm, people that answer questions for a living start saying, "Well, I'm not going to go with it." That means you're going with the young guy. And guess what? You got to tell the older guy, "Hey, man, it's not like you haven't had your opportunity." It ain't for everybody. I tell people this all the time. It took me four years at Florida, to, ready to be a starter. Just because you've been there four years, don't mean you're ready to start. Emory, you know I love you. You, you. you know I do. But I got to speak for my mama on this. Shout out to my mama. <laughs> I want AR-15 because if you go into the game with Emory and you lose and you say what you could have done, that is why, you know, uh, Dan Mullins is in the position he's in now. You need to win or look competitive in the worst. But like you said, Kevin, if you're going to lose, you better look competitive doing it. And AR-15, if you give you a better Let shot. Let me ask you this. Let me ask that. you this, Ben. Is, can, you, can you, with a bye week, can you play both guys rotationally? Or do you need to go with one guy and say, this is who we're playing against Georgia? You can. You can. But this ain't the defense. <coughs> me. This isn't the defense to do it against, BJ. And I, as a guy who's tried to do the dual quarterback thing, you know what that means? That means you don't trust neither one of them. That's what people don't get about being, being a starter means we trust you the most. We trust you to go out there and get it done. Emory Jones only has trust because he is the first quarterback recruited by Dan Muller and Kevin and BJ. Y'all know this. Everybody wants to look good when they make those type of decisions. Well, he's been there for four years and haven't played that much for a reason, too. Felipe couldn't beat him out. Kyle Trash couldn't beat him out. And I'm not saying that Emory Jones isn't a talent. I'm just saying your biggest competition not only is in your meeting room, he might be better than you at what you do, and he's only a true freshman. You got to go with the young guy, and I think AR-15 just gives you a lot more, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, choices when you out there on the field. So got to go with the young guy. But once again, that's why I do radio. Dan Muller, it is your decision to make. I'm going to have to live with whoever runs out. Well, but if it's anybody other than AR-15, I am going to be highly disappointed. Yeah, I mean, I know we got 10 days to, to keep talking about it, and we'll certainly pick it up uh, next week when you get ready to go there. But it's kind of interesting that both teams have – at least a quarterback question. I'm not saying they have questions, a quarterback question. Do you go with Henry Jones or Anthony Richardson? Stetson Bennett mm. or JT Daniels mm. if he's healthy? The guy who's got the hot hand versus the guy who would be coming back after a month off of playing. I, I think very intriguing quarterback questions well, for both of these teams going into the next I know, Kevin, and, and Kevin, you, make up, you bring up an even greater point. Out of JT, Stetson, AR5, Anthony Richardson, and, and uh, Emory Jones, only one of them has played in this game, and that is Stetson. No other guy has played in this game yet. Think about it. Not the five stars. Not the big Not the big five stars, four stars. It was a guy that wasn't even on campus. So, BJ, your cousin might get a chance to go out there and start again <laughs> because just like Anthony Richardson, he gives Georgia the best chance. Might not be the best player, but I don't even know that. Is, is, is JT Davis a better player than Stetson Bennett? 
that might be the question of the year because I know he don't look the part, but, you know, his car drives just like anybody else. It just ain't the best car you ever seen. Smart cars do work, people. And they got a nice smart car <laughs> being Athens, and that bad boy runs really, really good. But you know what, though, Kevin, Ben, I, I don't think either coach is going to come out in the next few days and say no. we are 100% playing this guy or that guy because you want to keep the opponent preparing for both, right? If you're Kirby Smart, you want you want Florida you know, preparing for Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels. If you're Dan Mullen, you want Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones on the mind of, of, of Georgia. So I don't think you're going to get any clarity until right up before the game. My, 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 those mind games, BJ. And he has both, both, uh, both, uh, uh, head coach needed, but Dan Muller need a win in the worst way. Not gonna win the East, but you need something to write home about to kind of justify that $1.5 million extension in the offseason. Because thus far, what, against power, I guess what, top 15 teams the last nine games, you were two and seven. And now you got Georgia. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> We've got more to come. That's take three. We do it every day at this time. We'll come back. Mike Norvell, Florida State head football coach, will join us here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. The first and second inning, and then you get your uh, your Waskari Noah or someone like that to pitch the middle innings, and then you start getting back on schedule with the bullpen. So nobody faces the lineup more than once or twice, essentially, uh, when it's all said and done. But uh, looking at it, uh, a little bit different in the lineup tonight. So uh, Brian Snicker, and again, couple of ways to look at it. Do you mess with something that's been successful for you after really one bad inning by Luke Jackson? Uh, but they're mixing it up. Waskari Noah going to get the start. Dansby Swanson going to hit leadoff. Then Freddie. Then Ozzie Albies. Austin Riley. Eddie Rosario back to the fifth spot. Adam Duvall. Jock Peterson. Travis Darno, And then Waskari Noah. I don't think Waskar will actually bat unless the Braves are up, you know, five to nothing or something. Uh, I don't think he's actually going to bat in the ballgame tonight. But there you go. Mixing it up just a little bit. Uh, from last night. Maybe that's to throw the Dodgers off of their thinking a little bit. But, uh, again, uh, Dodgers looking at a bullpen game tomorrow. It'd be nice to jump on them here uh, this evening and make them go deep in that bullpen win or to lose. I mean, Kevin, do you trust uh, Snit and his strategy? I understand. Like, this is yeah. the part. This, I mean, cause I, I know that's been, like, a big target point throughout the course of the year is, okay, I mean, you trust Snit to go out there and, you know, put a, you know, put together, a, you know, a, a good lineup. But do you trust his strategy with this bullpen? Because I – I said this: If you pitch for the Dodgers in the play, in the postseason, they're gonna find a way to throw you out there. That's just that that's just their strategy, uh, regardless of whoever they're playing. But do you trust Snit in these pressure type situations, trying to get a big game three win, you know, against the Dodgers team that you know is gonna come with everything? Well, I think the big thing, and again in in baseball, then you mentioned it, the much like in the NFL when you get to the postseason in baseball, I think the big thing is don't panic. Uh, you you know, there's still a best of seven. Uh, when you get down to it, and I wouldn't go drastically changing what's worked for you all season long, game in and game out. Now, to me, this is a simple enough change where you put Dansby at the top of the lineup, uh, maybe a little bit different than Rosario. I think it also potentially gives you some righty-lefty, righty-lefty type stuff at the top of the uh, the lineup against Urias, and maybe you're just playing a, a hunch card uh, there on that. But this is enough of a little bit of a change to not throw everything totally off. But again, I don't know if I would be rolling out a different lineup every night the rest of the series if I'm, you know, Brian Snicker. I, I would trust what got you there. And uh, this is kind of interesting uh, tonight. How long will they go with Waskari Noah? Again, I, I think three is probably your max. Uh, go one time through the order and you're going to go somebody else. But just enough of a change, I think, maybe uh, if you want to play that cat and mouse game with, uh, with Dave Roberts and say, bet you didn't think we were going to do that. 
uh, you know, and, and we're going to switch things up on you just a little bit with the lineup tonight. Yeah, I think maybe some of the changes are just kind of to shake things up after what was a very disappointing finish to the game so that instead of viewing today as sort of a carryover from yesterday, it's almost like you're hitting the reset button to a certain extent and kind of focusing on what's ahead instead of what's uh, behind. You know, I think it's a good compromise of, Kevin, like you said, maintaining the status quo to a certain extent, but also making a couple of changes just to kind of freshen it up. Um, I do think the first couple of innings are going to be important, going back to that, and and that does put the spotlight on Waskari Noah. You may not look at him and say, we have to have five innings or you have to get us into the sixth inning, but you do need him to be efficient and effective, and I think what we learned from Charlie Morton's outing yesterday is don't walk, guys. I think that's the key. L.A.'s got great players. If they're going to swing and find a gap or even hit one over the fence, I think you can manage that to to a certain level. But uh, uh, as we saw yesterday, a solo homer, okay, you can work with that. A three-run homer, that can be devastating. So don't go away free passes. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've told you guys on and off the air, I, I don't have a great feeling in terms of the, mo- the momentum of this after what happened yesterday. But, Ben, I think you've got to come out if you're Atlanta, make a statement in the early innings. You could do that with – your offense, you could do it with Enoa, you could do it defensively. I'm not saying you got to be up five nothing, but you need to make some plays to kind of regain that momentum and that confidence early tonight. So, BJ, you got to be yourself, got to be poised, got to be confident, right? got to be aggressive, but in the, but at the end, I mean, be loose. I mean, the thing the thing about it is, I mean, Luke Jackson, you know, I mean, he had a bad inning against the Dodgers. I don't think too many people are going to be mad at Luke Jackson because think about it, this: is the same Luke Jackson that they asked him to do everything a couple of years ago because everybody was hurt. Here comes Luke coming out of the bullpen again. Well, who else did you have? So some of these guys, they earned what they're doing now, you know, year, you know, you know, years prior. So I'm not mad at Luke Jackson. I mean, all right, you know, this this Dodgers team caught fire in the late innings. This is how do you, BJ, you talk about the early innings. I'm I'm more or less focused on the late innings. I mean, you got to make sure that what happened last night doesn't 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 occur tonight. And it's easy for me to say that, but you have proven that you can play with this Dodgers team. You are not outmatched. You know, you, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not the lesser team in this situation. I go back to what I said, Kevin. Do you trust Snitz, uh, you know, uh, late game, you know, I mean, a late inning, uh, you know, decisions? Because that's going be, to be the deciding factor. But, hey, man, it's game four. You didn't get game three. Try to go out there. Because, Kevin, as you mentioned, the goal is to get one, head it back to Truist. That one could be the night. Yeah, and, again, I, I think if you, if you get one, uh, then that makes tomorrow night very interesting because you can say, hey, well, we, we know we're going back to Atlanta if we lose, but you could also still wrap it up. I mean, the Braves are still in a position where you win tonight, you know the Dodgers are going to go Johnny Holstaff on it, and you're not necessarily going to get a number one every single inning out there. And this is a team that I think BJ has jumped on pitching a lot, and I think that would be a good thing. If you could win tonight, you go in tomorrow saying, look, against their bullpen, do they have some good pieces? Yes, but we have knocked – them around a little bit as well when they've gotten out, out of the starters uh, spot. And I think from a confidence standpoint, you go up there to the plate uh, tomorrow with a lot of confidence. So to me, a very big bounce back game tonight. If you can get Urias out of the game early offensively, I still think even with Dansby moving up to the top, you're still very, very good offensively. I would expect the Braves to go out and score some runs. They've scored uh, in every single ball game. They haven't had just a, a game where they're horrendous offensively and put some pressure on the Dodgers to feel like this is a must-get game, knowing they can't just run Max Scherzer out there uh, tomorrow and try to lock you down for five, six, seven innings. 
and I think getting to the bullpen early is is critical. That may be the biggest key to victory, and it's and it's a double bonus in that you would get into the bullpen for today, and you would force those guys to throw pitches and accumulate pitches that might result in them not being available or, or as available to pitch multiple innings in games to come. So big hits early. Uh, if you can put some pressure on L.A. in the early innings, first inning, second inning, third inning, I think that's key, Ben. I really do. And if you can get into that L.A. bullpen, especially with the Dodgers on their heels a little bit, and take a 3-1 lead, this team has been resilient. Uh, you know, you go back a couple of nights ago, they were. this team has been resilient all season and in the playoffs. I think if you can prove that once again, that optimism that we all had yesterday in the sixth, seventh inning, I think it'll come back around. <laughs> Christian's giving me the look like, don't do that. Why, look, why, why, well, listen, I'm listen, trying listen, to talk listen, into how, existence. Listen, BJ, how quickly these narratives, listen, I, 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 like, I, like, I like this BJ not really knowing to expect, kind of going crazy after one loss. Maybe that'll propel these, uh, these Bravos to get that, oh, that, that cover to game three. Uh, that, well, not game three, game four, but uh, that third win of this series. We got more to come here on Three and Out. We'll get you ready for some bonus coverage. Bonus coverage of the Red Sox and the Astros. That will take you up to 650 with our full coverage of Braves and Dodgers. So, again, we'll have bonus coverage just for a little bit of the uh, Astros and Red Sox and get you ready for full coverage of Braves and Dodgers at 650. This is Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Back here, coming up at the top of the hour, we'll give you some bonus coverage of the Red Sox and the Astros. We'll have that for you, and that will lead you up to our full coverage of Braves and Dodgers at 6.50. So a couple of hours of our Red Sox and Astros bonus coverage, and then Braves-Dodgers coming up at 6.50. Coming up uh, next week, BJ and Ben, you got the third annual Georgia-Florida Legends Series there at uh, the Westin on Jekyll Island. Really looking forward uh, to that. A great uh, group of uh, legends assembled for this one. Yes, yes, but before I get to that event okay. next week, before I get to it, BJ, you know, uh, got to go back to my neck of the woods. I mean, being a former athlete, I do my best to try to shine, you know, a light on, you know, uh, some of uh, you know, uh, some of the necks up. Want to go back to East Georgia State College, the Lady Bobcats, Miss Nia Lawrence. I mean, uh, you know, representing for the Lady Bobcats. I don't know who the dean is, but I do know she's on the dean list. Four point oh GPA. I'm never, I'm never gonna tell nobody what my GPA is in college because, well, I don't want to embarrass my teachers or my family. But shout out to Miss Nia Lawrence. It's hard these days finding a way to get it done on the hard court and get it done in the classroom. Shout out to Miss Lawrence. I don't know who got next, but I know who got right now. Make sure you give her all, all the, uh, the, um, all the money that she can get right now. I know right now she's trying to get a little bit more. You know, uh, as far as like a uh, scholarship money. So yes, yeah, shout out to Miss Nia Lawrence getting it done. It's not about what you know, it's who you know. I know Entree Drama. She knows Entree Drama. Miss Nia Lawrence, keep doing what you're doing, young lady. And listen, if you want to cheat off somebody, pay, but I would say it would be Miss Nia Lawrence. <laughs> we don't encourage you to cheat off. We don't encourage you to cheat off. But no, but, but uh, you know, I had to make sure, you know, I'm doing my due diligence. But yeah, uh, BJ, Kevin, Cam, Christian, uh, Mark. You know, uh, you know, everybody's helping me get done, you know, get this third annual Florida Georgia Legend Series. It's going to be star-studded this year. Uh, you know, held at, uh, at the Western on Jekyll Island uh, next Friday on the 29th. I mean, Carlos Alvarez is going to be there. Willie McClendon is going to be there. Washington Ely is going to be there. It's going to be – you're going to get a chance to come out there and see some of your favorite athletes uh, to ever come through the Florida and Georgia uh, game. And then, you know, you got uh, – you know, it's going to be – it's Carlos Alvarez, football royalty. You're going to be able to take some pictures. going to be able to sign some autographs. And, look, Kevin Thomas is going to be there. So for those of you who said, hey, never, we never got a chance. Those of you who didn't get a chance to meet Kevin Thomas in uh, – 
And uh, three years ago, Kevin Thomas will be there taking pictures, you know, signing autographs, and BJ will be there too. Uh, you know, oh, yes, the highlight of the whole weekend. Listen, and, B, and, B, <laughs> and BJ will be there as well, author of a new book, Uncommon Unfinished. BJ, Kevin, Cam with a K, PJ with a P, <laughs> Christian with a C. No, it's the Florida Georgia Legends uh, series, our uh, third annual, and I'm looking forward to it, man. A shout-out to everybody, man, who helped a young man from Swainsboro, Georgia, dreams come true by paying homage to the ones that came through this beautiful game. Well, and just and just so many stories. I mean, incredible stories. And, you know, we've we've gotten to hear you tell the story of the 2002 catch over Thomas Davis so many times. And then I'll sum it up. It goes like this, right? I caught it. I was tired. I went to the bench. I mean, I, I mean isn't that basically it? But, no, but, but to hear you and Carlos Alvarez and, you know, Jeff Chandler, Sean Ely, Willie McClendon, uh, you know, D. Webb, D.J. Jones, talk about their moments in this rivalry that's so unique, so special, so competitive. Uh, so many big moments. Championships have been decided by what's happened down in Jacksonville, and it's a uh, it's a special rivalry, and it's just an incredible perspective that 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 we get to share, we get to hear, and really looking forward to uh, next Friday night uh, over at the Weston Jekyll be be on the seaside patio, and like you said, a chance to take pictures, get autographs, and hear firsthand from some of the best players to ever play in the rivalry. Yeah, absolutely free to come to as, yes, as yes. well. So that's 399. Uh, yes. Yeah, another uh, another good uh, positive of that uh, as well. So we encourage you to do that uh going up uh, coming up next week as we get ready for uh, Georgia and Florida. We'll be at the Weston on Jekyll Island for the uh, Georgia Florida Legends Series next Friday. Hope you'll come out and uh, and join us for that. Uh, we've got baseball coming up tonight, fellas. Hopefully tomorrow on the show we're talking about 3-1 Braves and not necessarily 2-2. We will uh, see what uh, Waskari Noah and company can get done uh, tonight, and we'll have that for you coming up 6.50. But first, a little bonus coverage right around the corner of Red Sox and uh, and Astros. You feeling good, BJ? You look a little little tense. Uh-oh, uh-oh. I mean, feeling good. <laughs> look, I was I was feeling good in the seventh inning last night, and, and, and I am still feeling pretty good. The Braves still have the advantage in the series. I think you should take the field with confidence tonight. I like some of the subtle changes that have been made. It's going to come back to Atlanta, a chance to win it at home. But get get off to a good start. I'm gonna, I, I understand what you're saying, Ben, about the late innings and kind of the crunch time play. But I think first, second, third inning, we're going to get a feel for how this game's going to go tonight. Keep an eye on Ozzie Albies. I think he might have a big hit early in the game. I'm not superstitious. I didn't watch game one. We won. I didn't watch game two. We won. I watched a little bit of game three. We lost. I will not be watching. Ah. And, no, no. That has Ain't no curse. That has nothing to do with it. But all I was asking Christian last night was what, how you think uh, Kevin uh, dealing with his key goes. Kevin's probably at baseball practice, but if he's watching online, <laughs> he is not liking what he's seeing at this current point. But, hey, man, Braves, go out there and get it done, man. Nothing nothing like a cushion. 3-1 against them. 3-1 against the Dodgers makes it a total different series. Yeah, bonus coverage coming up. Uh, Red Sox and Astros here in just a couple of minutes. They'll get uh, first pitch underway. And then at 6.50, we'll get you out to Braves and Dodgers. Full coverage leading up to Game 4 tonight. And we will see you tomorrow here on